It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell, and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Corpel and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpel.com this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And today is Sunday, March 17th, and we are back in beautiful Austin, Texas. Happy St. Patty's Day. We're all Irish today, right? So um, I wish you're all, wish, I hope that you're all having a lot of luck today, um, St. Patrick's Day, and and we'll try to make it lucky here. We're going to have a great program for you. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here to make the show run. And we have, like I said, a great show in store for you. In a little while after the break, we'll be joined on the phone from the West Coast Educator Kindness Consultant, and founder of KindLiving.net, Andy Smallman. And he's joining us from San Francisco to inspire people to both recognize and engage in acts of ordinary kindness, promoting ordinary activities that awaken kindness, helping us to connect to our true nature and increase peace in the world. Perfect, right? I talk about that all the time, and he is the expert. He's the kindness expert, so I'm really excited to have him on the program. And then later in the program, Kristen Wright will join us from Central Texas, and she just returned from a trip to the Texas-Mexico border with Courts and Ports, a two-day immersion experience, engaging people of faith. It's an interfaith experience um, to witness hand the legal and law enforcement processes related to immigration, detention, and deportation that are occurring right now in South Texas. And so Kristen is back after witnessing all of this, and she's going to let us know what she witnessed firsthand. No fake news here. It's all firsthand information. And I will talk about beginner's mind along the way. It's a good thing to have when we're following the path of living a passionate life, having the mind of a beginner. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. So I'll explain that some more. And we'll have some more little tidbits here and there. And throughout this evening's show, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guests, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855 855- Three four five four seven two zero. That's eight five five three four five forty seven twenty. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air to my guests. And the um, email address is Dr. Mara D R M A R A at drmaracarpel dot com. D R M A R A K A R P E L dot com. And um, Just be sure that if you have questions for me or my guests, make sure that we're still on the air. Make sure the guests are still on the air. 
when you send in or call in with your questions so that they can answer them. And you can hear this evening's program again by going to my web and the link to the podcast along with any links that we talk about on the program will be posted later tonight. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, that's B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden years. And for information from previous programs, to listen to previous programs, get all the website links from previous programs given by my guests on those shows, or to read my blog. Um, that has been in Cuffington Post and ThriveGlobal.com and now is in Savannah, Savannah.com. Um, watch videos of interviews that I've done with guests who are live in the studio. Find out about my book. Find out about my course. All of that. You can get all of that at the one-stop shop, my website, drmarakarpel.com. You can also listen to all of the podcasts that we have done in the last five years here on Blog Talk Radio by going directly to blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years. And the best way to find out about future events, upcoming shows, upcoming book signings, more information about my course, all of that, or anytime I've post blog, follow me on Facebook. And my Facebook page is Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. And if this is the first time that you're tuning in, I'm a licensed psychologist from New York City practicing here in Austin, Texas, and in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, all ages, and have a specialty of working with seniors and caregivers. And for the past few years, have also been evaluating veterans for PTSD. And part of the time, my office is in the wonderful Veterans Resource Center, Heroes Night Out, which is located in Cedar Park, Texas. For information about this really great resource for veterans and for veterans' families, check out their website, heroesnightout.org. Do you want to contact me? Do you have a question that you want to ask me or some information that you want me to know about? Feel free to send me an email to drmara at drmaracarpel.com or go through my website, drmaracarpel.com, and click on the contact link or give me a call at 512-626-6973. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by Dr. Ronald DeVere, neurologist, memory specialist, and author of the book, Memory Loss, Everything You Want to Know But Forget to Ask. To make an appointment with Dr. DeVere at his memory clinic in Lakeway, Texas, or to purchase a copy of his book, you can give him a call at 512-261-261. 7909 or send him an email to rdevere.com. And his book is also available on Amazon. And this evening's program is also sponsored by Storyhouse and turns them into multimedia collections that can be shared now and for generations to come. Have Storyhouse over to conduct a private interview in your home or invite them to your next big event or family reunion. Storyhouse, where your memories live. Find out more at yourstoryhouse.com or call 512-296-8752. 
Okay, we're going to take a brief break. We're going to play some of our sponsors' commercials. Um, it'll be very brief, so don't go anywhere because when we come back very quickly, um, we'll be joined by kindness consultant and founder of KindLiving.net, Andy Smallman. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaracarpell.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Corpel and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpel.com. And now joining me on the phone from San Francisco, we have educator, kindness consultant, and founder of KindLiving.net, Andy Smallman. Good evening, Andy, or good afternoon over there. Yes, it's just past three o'clock here in the sunny, uh, the sunny Bay Area. I'm actually in Berkeley, so on the other side of the bay from oh. San Francisco. Uh, you know, it's still sunny depending on, uh, regardless, I guess, uh, which side of the bay you're on. Right. <laughs> we probably have more sun in Berkeley than in than San Francisco does. I'm guessing. It. Yeah, it depends. Today it's about equal, but that is true um, on other other days or other uh, times of year. I'm fairly new down here, though, having moved from Seattle last summer. Ah, so it's a lot sunnier for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of the reason my wife and I moved. Yeah. <laughs> so, Andy, I'm so glad that you're that you joined us for this show. I'm so excited because. And I just want to remind you, there's a slight delay when we talk like this, so you might notice a little bit of a delay. But um, I'm always talking about kindness on this program, and I'm so excited to have a kindness expert on the show. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Sure. I'm pleased to do that, and uh, I'm going to enjoy just basking it for a minute in being a kindness expert. So thank you for that, uh, <laughs> that designation. Uh, actually, uh, I believe that all human beings have the potential to be a kindness expert. Um, it's simply a matter of kind of turning back inward. And I don't know if I would describe myself that way, but I certainly appreciate being described that way by you and, and others who, who might. I have a lot of experience trying to promote kindness, and perhaps that's, uh, that qualifies some mm-hmm. level of expertise. Uh, my background is I'm an educator. So um, in my 
early mid-20s, I ended up um, getting a master's degree and a teaching certificate um, specifically to work with children, so elementary and middle school. And that particular uh, work was kind of a, a drive of mine uh, that I didn't fully identify until I was um, actually volunteering in the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. And knew that I always enjoyed kids, but uh, it wasn't until I had done this volunteer work that I was like, I think I'm supposed to do this professionally, and then made that a kind of an end goal. The focus point is, well, how can I do this professionally, and becoming a teacher specifically was what came to my mind. And it was dur during my work really early on, which would be now in the late 80s, early 90s, that I uh, really identified a certain way I wanted to work with children, and that was really... Um, more about kind of the concepts of self-actualization and what does it mean to be a whole person and how can schools contribute to that. My sense at the time was that education um, was out of whack or out of balance, focusing way too much on the head and not enough on the heart. And so mm. the work that I have done really has been about trying to, to bring that into balance as an educator. And kindness is actually a byproduct of that particular kind of philosophy and and kind of goal that I had set for myself. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So are you still teaching? I Well, I think uh, I, I'm never going to stop teaching, but I'm not doing it formally. Um, with the help of my wife and a number of other um, parents, uh, in 1994, I actually started a school built on the idea of kindness and um, environment being a place where students felt um, accepted for who they are. Um, that's called the Puget Sound Community School or, and can find it at pscs.org. And it's in Seattle in its 25th year mm -hmm. now. Um, so obviously I did a lot of teaching uh, during those, uh, the, actually 24 years that I was with the school. Um, so, and then I've been teaching outside with adults and, and others. But currently right now um, I am in the Bay Area trying to to do more of promoting kindness as an ordinary act. Um, and so I'm doing more writing, um, putting together. One, one of my current projects mm -hmm. is actually adapting the Tao Te Ching into kindness poems. So uh -huh. that type of work. Um, I was in a, um, accompanying a, a person here in the Bay Area into a company in Silicon Valley last Tuesday um, to help promote compassion in the workplace. So that kind mm -hmm. of work is where I'm going right now. Really important, really important. I mean, compassion everywhere is important. <laughs> so, um, and certainly, I don't think of people in certainly in corporate environments having a lot of compassion. So, that's a big, that's a big undertaking. I, I agree with you. I think, though, um, part of my philosophy, I agree with you. I think that institutionally or within the businesses themselves that there's something lacking. But as soon as you go in and you sit down with, like, an individual who happens to be working, uh, you know, or even a small group, there is a need and a desire to have that emerge. It's, like, latent inside human beings um, a mm -hmm. lot of the time. And, you know, you call it kindness or um, I think some of the language that you use also works. Where How do people find their vitality? Um, and I think that uh -huh. uh, that sense of feeling a strength or feeling that you are contributing to something positive or something bigger than yourself, I think we all have that uh, lying within us. And I think sometimes we just need someone to basically tap us on the shoulder and help us um, look and find it. 
Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I, I think that the corporate organization doesn't have it as part of their <laughs> um, the tasks that they that they focus on, but the people who make up the organization certainly do. It's it's in it's within us. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, well put. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I went through your website, and you have all kinds of stuff that I just absolutely love. Um, and I love the games that you have, the compassion games. Um, can you talk <laughs> a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, so that's got a story behind it as well, and so I'll give you some context for it. So um I've created what I've called and have renamed at different times over the last 20 years, basically the kindness classes. And so I've had them be in person for for middle schoolers and high schoolers, and then I had them um, be online, um, and that involved people all over the world of different ages. But the idea of it being a class always seemed a little odd to me. Like, what, then I'm going to give people kindness assignments, um, which seems a little counterproductive, that as soon as you're assigned a kind act, you could argue, well, then you're doing it not to be kind. You're doing it to fulfill an assignment. So, you know, I played with this for a long time and tried to really look at this in different ways. About, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, I came up with the idea that instead of having assignments, um, I was giving people missions. Um, And so it was like um, deputizing people to actually uh, go out and do something that I think they wanted to do anyway, but I was giving them a little bit of a focus for it. So this man in Seattle, his name is John Raymer, he had, was actually instrumental in, in bringing the Dalai Lama to Seattle as part of this compassion action um, mm-hmm. activity mm-hmm. back in, um, I don't know, 2011, 2010, right in there. Um, well, John had heard or had followed along uh, with some of the work that I had been doing promoting kindness in this way. And he had this idea um, because in 2012, there also were, was, was one of the Olympic Games years. And so um, with the Dalai Lama having been in Seattle, he had this brilliant um, idea that what we needed were games to engage people to be more compassionate or to be more kind and these, these different ideas. So knowing my efforts, he reached out to me and said, hey, Andy, I've got this idea. Um, the mayor of the of, um, it's the mayor of a city in, in Kentucky has challenged us here in Seattle to see which city is the most compassionate. And we need some games in order to, to, to determine this. Could you create a game? And from that, <laughs> I took my, yeah, I know it's funny. I took my mission idea and started thinking about it from the standpoint of the old Mission Impossible TV show from the 1960s. The right. one that uh-huh. uh, Peter Phelps, I think, I think Peter Phelps was the, um, or Peter Graves, excuse me, played the the commander, uh, Jim Phelps. And he would, the episodes right. always began quietly with him going somewhere and finding a recording and then hearing this, this mission being delivered. And that was how the secret agent of compassion started, as I was trying to mimic that concept. Good morning, Dr. Carpell. Uh, we've heard of this need for more compassion in the world. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to, and then I would come up with this activity, and it could be do something compassionate for yourself, you know, some act of self-compassion, identify a way in which you're suffering and try to alleviate that in some way, or go out into the world and identify someone who um, is suffering in some way and 
do some small act that would help you uh, recognize that that suffering has decreased in some way. So compassion is usually address, uh, trying to address and recognize their suffering. So that's how that started. And that was back in 2012. And the compassion games grew well beyond these two cities to now be an international event that is going on and expanding in bigger and bigger ways. And so the secret agent of compassion activity has been going on for now seven years um, with different iterations throughout the year, um, like three or four kinds of game times, week long or two or two week long activities, and then I try to create missions. Um, this most recent one was the first week of uh, February uh, this year was the World Interfaith Harmony Week, and I was asked to create secret missions for will for each of the seven days of the week. Each one of the seven missions being built off of David Gershon's um, idea of seven actions for world peace. And so I took those and I oh. made them into basic verses. And then I created a, um, a video that was designed to be similar to the old Mission Impossible TV show. So that's the secret agent of compassion background. Wow, that's really cool. So is that the, where is that happening? That's only out there on the West Coast? No, it's it's actually international. People will sign up via the Compassion Games website and create teams from all over the world who then will get these missions. And, and there's other activities. There are multiple ways people can engage now in the Compassion Games. Anybody that's interested in that specifically, CompassionGames.org, it's a monstrously huge website um, with all kinds wow. of activities. And now there are um, organizations all over the world who now partner through something called a, the Synergized uh, Impact Network Exchange or SIGN, but they are, that we're all collaborating. Kind Living is one of the, the founding members of that. But we work together to support these different organizations literally throughout the world who are trying to promote decency and compassion and kindness. So it's this idea of uh, at some point we're going to hit the hundredth monkey where it just becomes ingrained in everybody's consciousness. But that's part of what's going on with um, with yeah. the compassion games. Well, that's really big. See, you are the kindness expert. <laughs> uh, well, you're the super psychologist, right? Oh, right, right. <laughs> I heard that intro a minute ago. So yeah. if, if I'm the kindness yeah. expert, I'm going to certainly promote you as the right. super psychologist. Yeah. Thank you. I did not name that yeah. myself that, but thank I bet you. not. I, did, I laughed. I didn't I, name myself the kindness expert either. <laughs> I laugh whenever I hear it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You understand my, my reaction. That's funny. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was looking at these modules of practice, so it sounds like these are pretty similar to where, you know, the themes of your, um, of your compassion games, um, the, the different themes of modules, and the inspirations, mm -hmm. and I really was drawn to the practice of kindness for a stranger. Um, yes. Because that's, that's kind of one of the big things that I like to promote on this program. I'm always, you know, talking about how when we can stretch ourselves to not just be compassionate towards, well, certainly towards ourselves is really important, and that one is really hard, too, for people. I think people have a much easier time being compassionate for people in their own network or tribe, so to speak, but they have a hard time being compassionate for themselves and for people 
that look different, come from different backgrounds, and are not at all in their network, that they don't, they wouldn't normally have the opportunity to even meet those people necessarily, right? But it's really important. Yeah, and I think that that, that's really a big, you know, a uh, big piece of, of world peace, right? If we can be compassionate towards people that are very different from us. Um, and I love this. You have a story in here about the um, year of giving. The person who yeah. created the website. Maybe you can talk about that because I love that. I'm thinking I'm going to try that. So that's been a while since I actually promoted that particular piece. So I think the person who created the year of giving um, that, that, you know, that may have been back in 2012 or even 2013, somewhere, you know, five plus years ago. Um, And so it's not like uh, something I can just rattle off as simply as I could some of the other things that you uh, mentioned. But I believe that with an (laughs) idea of, um, of the, the person who was doing that was trying to give away some money, um, you know, on a regular, like, daily basis um, and started with something, realized how much more that they were getting back. But you mentioned a couple of things. If I can comment on those, is that all right? Yes, absolutely. Please do. Well, first, I really appreciate the fact that you noticed and went on the website and saw those modules. So the modules that that you're referring to are basically self-paced classes that um, I adapted from my real-time classes over the course of the last 25 years. So, And everything that I offer is free. I don't charge for any of this. Um, if people want to donate, that's lovely and certainly helpful. But um, anyone that, went to, that goes to kindliving.net will see these modules. And each of those there have like three basic themes. Like the, the, there's one for doing anonymous acts of kindness. So with that, there's a a theme or what now, you know, I might call a mission or at one point might call an assignment um, that people are um, suggested that you read that kind of take it in and, and consider it for yourself. What's it mean to you? Everything that I promote, I say, take it and put it through your own sense of self and let it emerge from that sense of self. And that's going to be the most authentic thing that you can do. So after you've done that, then I create, I, I have there what I call an inspiration message, which allows you hopefully to read and reflect on what you thought about now with this particular additional perspective. And then at some point you, there's an act. So you complete an act. And then after you've done that and the act of typically an act of kindness of some sort, then um, I suggest that you read the reflection comments that I've posted there. So that's what the modules are all about. I think there's like four of them maybe that, that are there, including one that uses the old Twilight Zone TV show. Um, so you watch an episode of the Twilight Zone and, and engage in an act of kindness. So that's one uh-huh. particular piece. And, th- and then you referenced the, the kindness of strangers, or the idea of doing kind acts for strangers, which I think is one of the uh, most fascinating themes for the reason that you say, especially if you look at strangers who are different than you in some way. I believe that when you connect and are doing kind acts, consciously mindful kind acts for people who have some level of difference from you, that's where the key to peace on earth is going to come from. And this could be difference Mm -hmm. from a political standpoint or a gender identity standpoint or a cultural standpoint, a race standpoint, something that puts you maybe a step outside your comfort zone. 
and then getting to know that person on some level. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have to know that you did this kind act for them, but that you're expanding your level of awareness. So that's part of the idea behind that. One time I was mm-hmm. promoting that concept, and I was using for that inspiration message a song by a musician named Tom Waits, who I think is actually a genius. I don't know if uh-huh. he's not that well known, but Tom Tom Waits has put the, his has released music since the early seventies, um, and right. in like nineteen seventy nine he wrote a song and had it um, as a duet with Bette Midler, and the song is called "I Never Talk to Strangers," and the idea being that these two this couple basically are sitting at opposite ends of a bar and they've recently broken up with their significant others and they are kind of insulting each other initially like what are you doing here what are you doing here but by the end they recognize that the only way you're ever going to meet someone new is to talk to a stranger Um, but if you never talk to strangers you'll never meet anyone because we all begin as strangers and so part of the idea is to get out of your comfort zone and get to know somebody and what's part of my goal like you said is to try to get to know somebody who's different than you in some way Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm so, you know, uh, there were some things here that you talk about that I'm looking at. I'm like, huh, I really like this. Like, you know, going to the library and putting up the money for the next $10 worth of fines. Um, that's completely anonymous because the person who goes to return a late library book has no idea who you are. Um, part of, part of my cool. goal of... Thank you. And part of my goal of creating ideas like that or posting or promoting ideas like that, I didn't create all of these. I've, I've seen some of these and adapted them, is twofold, really. One, it's the, the superficial level, which is totally fine, is this idea that now that person won't have to pay for their fine, and that seems nice. And that idea came out of, like, you, you'll see other ideas of people um, seeing an expired parking meter and putting a quarter in that or buying a cup of coffee for the person in line behind you. These are pretty standard kinds of random acts of kindness ideas, which are phenomenal. And I love these ordinary acts. But really the thing that's a, a, a little bit deeper that, I, that I'm hoping to promote in people's minds is that we're all part of this universe that is taking care of each other, and there's a magic to it. Mm-hmm. There's this idea that um, if somebody uh, has that fine paid for or that coffee purchased for them or whatever, that they're going to stand up a little bit straighter and say, that was kind of out of the blue and kind of cool. Um, and it's going to mm-hmm. cause them to feel a little bit better. And in them feeling a little bit better, they're going to stand a little bit taller, and everyone they encounter that day is going to feel a little bit warmer for that interaction. And so that's part of what I'm trying to promote, too. And I I say that we're all vehicles in a user-friendly universe trying to promote this idea of kindness and thoughtfulness and compassion. Yeah. So, you know, um, there's a lot of benefit for us, too, um, when we do that, right? That's, That's exactly right. That was the basic theme of my, what I call my, my, um, I guess, standard class. I called it the practice of kindness. And it was built around this idea of there being 10 themes or 10 missions, what I first called, again, those 10 assignments. The first one for the first, and these would be over the course of 10 weeks. So every Sunday you'd get this assignment, right? And the first one would be do something kind for yourself. And people would really struggle with this one and still do. It's idea, well, what am I supposed to do for myself? 
Um, and I'd give that, that inspiration and reflection. And then the second one would be do, do something kind for someone you love, which tends to be much easier. And then the third one would be um, do something kind for someone you know. You might not put them in, like, like a friend or an acquaintance, and, it, and you keep going out. Um, by the time that people have gone through this two-and-a-half-month activity over the course of 10 weeks, you get to the 10th one, and it's the same assignment as the first one or the same mission, which is to do something kind for yourself. And my point at the end of this course is to say every act you did actually fulfilled this, that when you were doing something kind mm -hmm. for a stranger, you were actually doing something kind for yourself. Right. So, so can you explain that? maybe for people who are wondering how that could be? Sure. So every time that you engage in something positive, even down to a thought, you are changing your actual chemistry within you. That instead of thinking poorly about the person who cut you off in traffic, if you reframe that to be that person needs to get to that spot or isn't on their way to the hospital, whatever, you know, you reframe that, you've changed your own awareness of, a, of an experience into something positive instead of something negative. And so when you've done that, your whole chemistry changes. You're treating your body better. And in that case, that's a, that's a kindness to yourself. And mm -hmm. then the, through the butterfly effect, if you will, that's a kindness to everyone who's around you who is coming into contact with you. So you're less likely to be gruff to the next person you meet. Um, and so that's a lot of what I work to promote. I call these really ordinary, everyday acts of kindness. But uh -huh. they start with yourself. And I, yeah, but I really like, even though they're ordinary, I like your use of the word magical. They, it really is, there is something magical that happens. That's, yeah, I love that use of the word, too, for me. It really resonates for me as we're all practical magicians in this way. Um, which I actually learned through um, something, an organization called the Lorian Association that was started by a man named David Spangler, who really talks about the practical magic that we all have, that we're all magicians um, if we go out in the world and actually uh, simply, it's in, in psychology, you'd call it like a reframing um, of just see mm -hmm. the, the story through a different lens. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think when we're around other people who are um, acting kind towards us or even witnessing them acting kind towards another person, um, or when we do something kind for another person, we can actually feel that moment of magic. We can actually, I yes. think it's a real physical feeling. Yeah, hey, have you ever interviewed yourself? you would be a really good guest on your show. <laughs> well, I just, you I know, I've was... never, with that. Oh, I was going to say, I said that, and I was trying to be a little bit silly, but I, then I started imagining you actually doing it, where you'd have to, you know, with an engineer <laughs> or somebody. Um, but it would really right. be fascinating. I don't know, but I, I think it, there's a there's something magical about that whole idea. <laughs> well, I just you know when you're saying what you're saying, it just kind of brings up these you know these thoughts for me because I've never used the word magic in that in that situation, but it really is magical. Yes, 
I, I, like I said, it really resonates with me, and I'm really tickled and pleased that that, um, that that's something you've picked up on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if people are interested in becoming part of this and, and, you know, learning from you how to be more kind and compassionate and to have some of that magic in their lives, what are some ways that they can do that? Well, the, the first thing, the simplest thing they can do uh, is kind of the obvious one is, is they could visit the Kind Living website and just take a look and see, you know, um, what are they drawn to? And that's the thing that I really try to get across to folks. I'm not trying to be an evangelist for kindness. I'm simply saying I think this is natural. And, and I do this because it helps me feel like I'm creating meaning and providing meaning in the world. But really beginning with myself, mm-hmm. I feel good because of this that I provide this every time I sit down and maybe create some new content um, that I post on the website or the, the Tao of kindness, as I put it activity or the inspirational poem that I'm posting every Monday um, on social media sites that every thing is actually makes me feel better. And it gets back to the, the magic that you and I are talking about. So if somebody is, is drawn to anything they've heard in this interview, I encourage them to, to go to kindliving.net and just see, does something there draw them? Um, where are they pulled? And I'm easy to reach. Uh, so uh, my email address is there and I will respond to anyone who reaches out and wants to connect with me. I also publish a lot of writing on a social media site called Medium. Um, so people can find me if they know what medium is and Facebook, they can find me Twitter, Instagram, you know, I, like I said, I'm all over out there. If somebody would like yeah. to connect and think that I have something to offer them. Um, and really what I'd say is that it's a two way street. As soon as someone reaches out to me, I'm getting something too. Mm-hmm. Well, actually it was through medium that you and I connected. I saw one of that's, your blogs. That's right. That's right. Thanks for that reminder. Yep. That's exactly how we met. Yep. And, yep, you were very quick to respond, so I agree oh. that you're, you're accessible. <laughs> um, well, well, I'm going to post. Just, go on. Go on. I, I was just going to say um, that, to me, it's just a matter of um, promoting kindness is, uh, and, and ordinary acts of thoughtfulness or however um, anyone wants to put it. That, that this last week I started referring to it as I'm a promoter of cheerfulness. I like that idea too. And I, um, that came from my mother. Um, and I experimented with having a new email signature file that says cheerfulness advocate. Um, and any of uh-huh. those are really what I'm trying to do. And I really think this is really important right now. We're feeling such at least in the United States, uh, a lot of divisiveness. And um, I just want people to connect with other people and feel good about it. Absolutely. It's very much needed. So thank you for doing what you're doing. And I can tell that it's a passion of yours. So, um, and that's great. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to post, um, all of those links that you mentioned, the kindliving.net, Medium, uh, your your page on Medium, Facebook, and also the Compassion Games. Um, yeah, I'll great. post that on, yeah, I'll post that on my website. Can, if they go to my website and look for the post about this show later tonight, they'll be able to go there and they'll get all of that and they'll, they can just click on them and it'll take them to the, all of those websites. Sweet. Thank you. Um, I have a personal website as well. It's just kindnessandy.com. And okay. that's, I've, I've got, I've got 
like a host of years worth of blog posts, including my family's travels to France that are archived there. And it also wow. introduces people to the school that I founded and to Kind Living and the Secret Agent of Compassion game. And there are links at kindnessandy.com to my Medium profile, to the Facebook page. You know, so that's a, that's a kind of one-stop shop. Okay. Okay. I'll be sure to. Yeah, I'll put that one there too for sure. Um, so thank you so much for for coming on the program. Let's stay in touch because you're doing such great things. I want to stay in touch sure. with you. Oh, Dr. Carpell, <laughs> thank you so much. I would love to stay in touch, and anytime I can do something that you think might support what you're doing, because I think it's pretty darn phenomenal. Um, what when I look at what the work you're doing, the book that you've written, and uh, it's it's um, inspirational. Well, thank you. Okay, so let's we'll keep in touch. <laughs> All right. Um, Thanks so and much. You enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, that's what I'm planning to do next. I think my wife and I are going to take our little puppy for a walk. Very nice. Okay, we'll we'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Thank you again. All right. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Yep. Bye. All right, so we're going to take a brief break. We have lots more to come, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Worried about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years, specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia. Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the fact. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaracarpell.com. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell in your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And before we go to our next guest, I'm going to talk a little bit about beginner's mind in terms of following your passion. And before I talk about that, let me just fill you in on some news. So um, just just to catch you up, um, I recently did a Facebook Live post um, about um, de-stressing in any way that you can and, and about my commitment to a 40-day meditation challenge that I created for myself and an invitation for anyone out there to join me on that 40-day challenge. We could all be on different days. Um, right now I'm on day eight. And, um, and how important it is to de-stress in order to continue on your path to following your dreams. That's similar to self-compassion, self-kindness. So we need to be kind to ourselves by taking a break and in any way that we can, whether it's walking in nature or sitting in your garden or gardening or meditating. And so I had created 
um, a meditation recording that's on my website. If you go under free gifts, um, there are a couple of meditations. The one that for vitality and joy and inner peace, that's the one that is a mindfulness meditation. And I'm in the process of creating a nine-minute meditation because my challenge is to do meditation at least nine minutes every day. Just nine minutes. Anyone can make time for nine minutes every day. Um, but now that I'm, you know, in up to day eight, I've increased it. Today I did double that. I did 18 minutes. Um, and it's getting easier and it feels good. And so um, if you want to watch the live video, it's still up on my Facebook page. And that's Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. And this Thursday, I will do another Facebook Live. And the advantage of watching it live is that you can send me questions during the video, uh, you know, during um, while I'm doing it, and I can answer your questions right then and there. But if you watch it and you have a question later, you can always post it on my Facebook page and I'll respond. Um, so this coming Thursday, I'll be talking about gratitude. And I received a, an email from a teenager in India who want, who read one of my blogs and wanted to know how he could have more gratitude in his life. He felt he felt that he um has a lot to be grateful for but was really having a hard time feeling it. And so we had a back and forth about how to feel, how to practice gratitude and so Thursday I'm going to talk about that I'm going to read a little bit I got his permission to share it so I'm going to share a little bit of what he wrote and what I wrote back about how to increase your feeling of gratitude because sometimes it's something that you need to cultivate it doesn't just happen automatically so that'll be Thursday at 8 p.m. central time so that's 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific. And again, that lives, it'll live on my Facebook page afterwards. And um, my, my course was scheduled to launch in mid-April, but I have postponed it because I want to create a really good course. So it will be a couple of months later. It is still available for for pre-launch sale, and I will extend that. But um, it'll be on sale until it launches, so that uh, if people buy it early, not only is it less expensive, but also um, people can have a say in what I cover in the course. Um, so if you have questions that you, if you've read the book or you've read an outline of the book, and there's something that you feel like you want me to go deeper into in the course, I will try to do that. And um, I felt like I needed to extend um, the launch because um, I really want to create a good course, and I've gotten some extra um information about creating a good course and I want to put it to use. So if, uh, you know, I don't want to just put something out there. So that, I, if you just stay tuned here or follow me on Facebook or watch my website, um, you'll be able to find out when it launches. And I think that's it for now in terms of news. Okay, so mine, because 
in all honesty, the reason that I started this 40-day challenge for meditation is because I myself was not meditating regularly, even though I recommend it for people to either meditate or have some way to take a vacation from everything, even the very thing that you are passionate about um, for a brief time every day, maybe even take a full day off or a week off. Um, we need to find time to, um, to, to have our minds slow down. And I wasn't doing that, even though I was recommending it. I was doing it every now and then, but I wasn't consistent. And one of the things that was happening is that I wasn't getting um, good sleep. At least one night a week, I was missing sleep, which is really important. And um, I was more easily stressed out. I was more easily frustrated. Um, I was having a harder time feeling creative in creating the course or writing a blog. And um, I realized something had to change. And so I started approaching meditation again. And here I am recommending it. But when I went back to it, I realized that, I'm, you know, we're all beginners. We need to approach life and even what we're passionate about with a beginner's mind. Um, Freshen actually comes from the world of meditation and yoga. And the beginner's mind is what is recommended in meditation. It's what, um, you know, what meditation, most, most expert meditators say to have a beginner's mind, to approach it every time as if it is the first time. And that is how you get the most benefit. And I, and I really feel that that is important in everything that we do um, with regard to following our passion. If we can have a mind of, oh, wow, this is new and exciting. I mean, remember um, the first time that you have done something that you really enjoy doing, how excited you were? If you can have that excitement every time, then that just increases your passion and it also makes you better at what you're doing. In fact, I, was, I looked online to look for articles about beginner's mind because I was really, you know, curious about what people are writing about this. And, and what was so interesting was that I found an article that was written for chiropractors. I, I was, that was very unexpected to find an article for chiropractors about why they should have recommending to other chiropractors having a beginner's mind. And what they said, um, they, they quoted the Wikipedia definition to, um, well, well, basically here, beginner's mind is actually the English expression for Japanese martial art term and in Zen, Zen Buddhism, as I said, in meditation. And according to, in, and the, the term is Shoshin in Japanese. And according to Wikipedia, Shoshin is described as having an attitude of openness, eagerness, and a lack of preconceptions when studying a subject even when studying at an advanced level, just as a beginner in that subject would have. So 
Um, and what they said for chiropractors, seeing the attitude of beginner's mind, it allows you to focus on the unique needs of your patients. Um, you'll be able to apply a fresh pair of eyes and ears to how you practice. Um, you'll remain open and curious, um, which paves the way for making your staff feel valued and building a rapport. And in, it apply, it doing this every day helps you maintain enthusiasm and, and, and passion for what you do. So I thought that was really interesting that for chiropractors, that was a recommendation. I think it applies for anything that you're doing that you want to keep the passion alive in. And so the definition that I found for beginner's mind, um, when your mind is open, you're receptive to ideas and possibilities. You see creative solutions to challenges because you're excited because of your expanded perspective. So when you have a beginner's mind, you're not going in as, well, I know everything. I'm the expert. Um, rather, you're, you're, saying, you're looking with curiosity. You may know a lot of things. You may have been doing this for a long time, but you always need to be open to learning more and looking at whatever you're doing with a fresh pair of eyes. And if you do that with whatever it is that you're passionate about, it just increases the excitement and the passion for what you're doing. And um, and I, you know, I'm I'm a beginner. I'm on I, every day. I'm a beginner. I've decided that I really need to step back and look at what I'm doing so that that. I can feel more relaxed. Why is it that I wasn't sleeping at least one night a week? Well, now I'm back to meditating every day um, and approaching it like the first time I've ever meditated. Um, in in doing what I'm doing and following my passion and my dream and talking here on this radio program and writing blogs and you know, getting people to read my book and creating this course, I'm right there with you if you're just starting on your journey or you're getting back to your journey. Every day I'm getting back to my journey. I am a beginner with you. I've just been doing it for a while. <laughs> I've been doing it for several years, but every day I'm a beginner. And when I remember that and I approach what I'm doing with that curiosity and the openness to learn something new, I'm much more creative, I'm much more excited, and I am much more productive. And in fact, that's the approach that I took. Now, I've never made a course online before, so I really am a beginner with that. But what I'm teaching, I've been doing for a long time. Um, but when I approached this, as a beginner and realize that, hey, you know what, if, this is, if I want to make a good course, it has a little longer. And I'm going to get some advice from people who have created courses. So I'm going to push this off a little bit. Now I'm excited again rather than feeling overwhelmed by this deadline that I put on myself to create this course at a certain time. So 
I'm open to learning how to create a more interesting um, course with a, with really like filled with good content and rather than fluff. So um, just, you know, I'm just recommending to anyone listening who is on, you know, out there trying to start on the journey towards your passion or finding yourself feeling like you're in a rut when you, you've been following your passion, um, whatever it is that you're doing, try to approach it with curiosity and openness to learn something new rather than feeling like you should know it all. We're all beginners, and I'm right there with you. All right, so I'm going to take a, a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Kristen Wright, who's going to tell us about what she witnessed on the border um, and with the immigrants who are seeking asylum. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaracarpel.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpel and your golden years right here on Blog Talk Radio and on drmaracarpel.com. And joining us from right here in Central Texas is Kristen Wright who has just returned from a trip to the Texas-Mexico border with courts and ports to witness what is happening firsthand along the border. So welcome, Kristen. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So much for joining us, and thank you so much for doing what you're doing and um, to letting us know firsthand what you saw. I just want to remind you when we speak like this, there's a slight delay. So it's just good to keep that in mind. Um, okay. Okay. So Kristen, what, what is, tell us what you did. What is this group courts and ports and, and what is it about? Okay. Um, well, the courts and ports program, it's actually a, a program that developed as a partnership between Texas Impact, which is an interfaith political advocacy group here in Texas, and they joined up with ACLU of Texas and really um, came up with this program, the idea of this, and then put it together into a program to um, have citizens, just regular people, um, and they recruit primarily but not only, through different um, churches uh, representing every kind of faith out there, and to have us actually go and, as you said, bear witness to what is happening. And a lot of the thought is that right now we're just in such a climate where people aren't believing what they see 
news or read because there is an increasing perception of all the news as false, fake news. And if we can create a large number of witnesses, people who have gone and with our own eyes and our own ears seen and heard the truth, we then can come back and share that. And more people, ultimately, the hope is, will have increased empathy, um, understanding why people are there and what the experience is, and um, ultimately have more empathy so that any policies that we have in our country uh, hopefully reflect the the desires of the citizens um, in regard to immigration. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, that's, long that was the initial... That was the initial kind of overarching purpose and the strategies that they've kind of put together in this program is to have groups of about eight people uh, from a couple of different communities join together um, at the border. So in the Brownsville, Matamoros area, and then they put together kind of a curriculum over the days so that we really get a good overview um, from people waiting on the other side of the border to actually crossing the bridge, going through court processes, all the way through uh, release from detention centers into respite centers, and then on to wherever they're going from there. And we observe all of those mm-hmm. pieces and get a chance to, to learn what the different um, people who are helping the um, immigrants, but also from the immigrants themselves. Right. So when did you go there? When were you there? All right. The first day, we actually left from church on Sunday and uh, drove down to Brownsville. It's about a six-hour drive. Um, that, that evening, we just kind of met up, had an initial orientation with our wonderful host um, from Texas Impact, who was there the whole time and really walked us through all of the steps. So that first mm-hmm. night, we was more of just getting together and an orientation. And how long were you down there for? We, the last um, direct piece of observation and interaction we had was ended at around noon on Wednesday, and then we drove mm-hmm. back. Um, I, I, I do want to add, if, um, I just want to, I heard the end of your previous show. It was wonderful and very appropriate to <laughs> this piece because I wanted to add that I'm a beginner in this and I'm not an expert. And I, in particular, want to just say a bit of a disclaimer that I'm, I'm speaking just as an individual, not on behalf of Texas Impact or ACLU or any of the nonprofits we interacted with down there um, or the church, Hope United, that I initially traveled down there with. So I just want mm-hmm. to make sure that that's clear. I'm just speaking as, as a okay. citizen. Well, that's even better, right? Because that's what, you know, we want you <laughs> we want you to talk truthfully as you yourself, your experience. Correct. So that's great. Right. So Okay. Good. So what so what did you see? Well, um the first day what we did was we went uh, we after we'd all met and had our briefing um, we went to court, and the plan was to go to T 
the um, federal magistrate's court in Brownsville, and that's where they're actually uh, having cases, they're criminal cases, uh, people who have been charged with illegal entry, and they're people who did not cross across the border and go through that uh, process that is outlined that they're supposed to go through. And I can tell you more later kind of why that happens. But what we observed was just the, the, that limited area of proceeding. It's completely separate, actually, from the immigration court and the whole process people who are seeking asylum. These are misdemeanor charges that prior to May 2018, um, it was up to Border Patrol officers whether they were even going to press charges because the charge is actually the equivalent of like jaywalking for a first offense. And many times uh-huh. people would just be sent back. Um, but it, that has changed under the zero tolerance um, policy changes under Trump and with Jeff Sessions. And so now automatically, pretty much, um, people are automatically being tried, and it's really backing up the court system, the legal court system um, for other criminal cases. And, and this, there's some worry of how could due process really be happening, because what I saw were 30-plus people all at once having their hearing. Uh, with, uh, there was two lawyers, one who spoke, for the defense, and it was a very, my overall impression was it was a very perfunctory process um, where people were, the charges were articulated by the prosecutor, and um, the magistrate asked if all of the defendants understood, and they all replied one by one, yes, there was a translator there, headphones on so they could hear the translator Um, but it was one translator speaking Spanish so if anyone say is from the mountains in Honduras and speaks a different dialect or even language and there's people coming from Syria coming from other countries um, I didn't see any other translators there may be at other times but that was a concern Um, Uh basically it's just a very very perfunctory process where everyone has stood up and they sit down after they've given their answer. Everyone is in chains, shackled, um, and very much being treated as pretty significant criminals, not um, what I have seen in other U.S. courts where people are being charged with misdemeanors. Um, mm-hmm. That definitely stood out. And I know the day right. that we went, we actually right. didn't, we didn't get to go in on Monday. They said it was too crowded and not safe. So I stayed back from the agenda the following morning, and the rest of my group went on across the border. I can tell you more about that in a bit. Um, I went back the next day, and I was able to get in with our host. So uh, that's where I had those observations. The first day, there were more people, and they said it was not Uh safe, and neither we weren't allowed in. And there was also a family there waiting um, they wanted to be there to witness their father's charges and the whole process, and they weren't allowed in either. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Okay. And so in the court, sometimes um, I was uh, the host who's been there. This was her fifth trip there, and she has gone into court each of those times. This was the first time she there. She had witnessed the not being allowed to go in, uh, just as a witness. Um, and prior times, there have been twice as many people in that room, lining the entire room, all in shackles, all asked the same question and replying yes, primarily to, do you understand the charges? That's the main first question. And the second is, um, do you plead guilty? And do you do so of your own volition? Everyone answered yes to all of those. At the very end, they ask, the magistrate asks if anyone has any more they'd like to say. And the day that I was there, no, uh, only one man took advantage of that, and he did request leniency and um, understanding because he had come over and re- for financial reasons, especially, and um, really needed to be able to earn money to feed his family. Um, mm-hmm. But other times, I was told me that she's had heard people take advantage of that and tell a little more of their stories of why they are, why they're here, why they're requesting asylum, and tell some pretty horrific stories. Um, I didn't hear that there. I did hear some some very very disturbing stories in some of our other visits outside of the courtroom, though. Right. So why don't you tell us about that? Where what else did you, where okay. else did you go outside of the court? Yeah. Okay. Well, they really um, the Texas Impact have put together an amazing program. Honestly, uh, we were busy and both in using our, our hands to help serve the um, volunteer um, as well as learning about the more policy-level issues. So where we went next um, on the first day, Monday, we went to the McClellan bus station, and that's where people um, are dropped off by the bus loads, many bus loads a day, at the McClellan, just an average-sized to small, yeah, mid-sized city and bus station. Is that, you and mean McAllen? McAllen? McAllen, I'm sorry, what did I say? Oh, okay, McCall- all right, McClellan. <laughs> McAllen. Okay, okay. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and there we met with a lady with um, it's an organization called Angry Tias and Abuelas of Rio Grande Valley. And she explained what she's been there for months now, and she's there five or six days a week. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me is there's really a handful of volunteers that um, a lot of the immigrants refer to as angels. Uh, their names are known mm-hmm. on the other side of the border because the word gets back, these are people you can trust. These are people who will steer you right. Um, many right. of people traveling for across multiple countries that are in violent um, straits as it is um, have definitely came to have not be confident who they can trust and who they can't. Right. So. Right. Yeah. At the best station, yeah, we had, what we learned. We had the mm-hmm. volunteers last week. We had a volunteer last week from Brownsville mm-hmm. who go. Their that group is called Angels. 
Um, and they do what uh-huh. you're talking about. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. There are, and there are groups, and they're working together, but every place we went, it was very clear. This was spring break, and so they had more volunteers than usual. There were students from various uh-huh. colleges who wonderful programs of alternate, alternate spring break programs. So we saw more volunteers than usual, and it still was not enough, nowhere near. Right, um, right. At the McAllen bus station, the main thing that happens there that was explained is people show up, and they're usually being brought from a detention center, from an ICE detention center, and they've been released, and they are told that they have a, a court date later. They've been released because they have a sponsor somewhere in the United mm-hmm. States. They've, they've gone into the detention center. They've passed a credible fear assessment, which is the very first step in asylum seeking. And they've passed that. Right. And they've identified they have a sponsor they can go to. So with that piece of information, they, they're they given a few pieces of paper, like about their next court date. And they are brought to the bus station. Some have no money. Some have no idea, don't speak English, don't have an idea of how to get through the next legs of their journey, or even understand to say they were, their sponsor is in New Hampshire, don't have no sense of where New Hampshire is in relation to Texas. Right. So the right. volunteers with Angry Tias and Abuelas and probably the other uh, folks that you, you spoke with met last week, um, they go around and talk with everybody look at what their papers are, help them understand what is what they say, what they need to do so that they comply with any orders and make sure they understand. Like, for instance, a lot of people are given a court date right there in McAllen, even if their sponsor is in New Hampshire or Wisconsin. So the first thing they have to do to not, um, to, to not make the mistake of not showing up for a court date mm-hmm. is... Um, they have to make contact and request a change of venue for that first date. And you can imagine there's a lot of people who have been traveling for months and very le- fleeing from very violent, scary circumstances, walking clearly, I mean, some people nearly emaciated, clearly lost a lot of weight, sick, and um, they're not understanding a lot of these pieces. And there aren't employed people doing that kind of assistance. Um, it's volunteers. So that's what we right. saw mostly there. We saw families. Um, almost all were families. And young children, um, very tired, quite exhausted. Um, some people come there after first having gone to Catholic charities which we went to next, and I'll tell you about that. That's a respite center that also gets busloads of people from a detention center dropped off every day, and they do some more work before people go off on the buses. But some people go straight to the buses. It's really what one of the things that stood up, it stood up out to me was all the volunteers that have been in the thick of this for months report that it changes weekly, if not daily at times. So at one point you thought you knew where people were going to get dropped off and about how many and what they'd need, and then it changes. 
um, and that it's different at different sites, different detention centers, different ports of entry, all have a, a surprising amount of variance um, in what uh-huh. they provide and, and how they do so. Um, mm-hmm. at the, at the, so the biggest things that stood out and what they, they what the volunteers there shared is there are a lot of people who come there. If they went to the Catholic Charity Center, which we went to next, they come with clean clothes. They have belts and shoelaces. The Catholic Charities helps provide some uh, like packed meals they can bring with them, and their bus ticket information is straightened out, and they're pretty good to go. But the people who didn't go there will come, and their clothes don't fit, they're dirty, and they don't have um, belts or shoelaces because those were confiscated in a detention center. Um, uh-huh. So a lot of those kind of things are provided as well as just the assistance and mapping out where they're going and making sure that they have, like, the phone numbers they need. Um, phone cards are another thing that they give mm-hmm. people to make sure they can make the, the contacts they need and in case they get lost or anything. Um, right. And there's an incredible network that these groups have at a lot of the bus stations, there's like a web that goes out of volunteers who contact each other when they know somebody's going. Um, there are a lot of cities where they don't have contacts, but if they do, they keep them and they reach out and coordinate best they can. So a family of seven from Guatemala is leaving today and they should be there this afternoon. If you could have someone to help make sure that they make their connection or you know, mm, whatever it, mm-hmm. uh, from there. So, and there's that, that has been very helpful, they've said, as that's been developed. Wow. This is, these volunteers um, are doing full-time jobs. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Beyond. Beyond. And I'm, I mean, yeah. I think each of the organizations has, like, a couple paid staff people who oversee the whole thing. Um but I mean like their whole agency, not this element of their service. Right. You know what I mean? They're, right. The Catholic mm-hmm. Charities in McAllen does a lot more than this, but they have, um, there's, I don't know if you've heard of Sister Norma, but mm-hmm. she's one of those nope. angels that is referred to. Okay. <laughs> so that's okay. the next place we went. We went to Catholic Charities. There's, it's called the Sacred Heart Respite Center. And it's just a, uh, a way too far away from the McAllen bus station for people to walk. So they, they're dropped off by bus at the, the Sacred Heart Respite Center. And when we walked in, um, and when we went to the bus station, it had been a lot more crowded early in the morning. It was still fairly crowded, but a number of people had departed on buses, and there, there, were not, there hadn't been a real, another big load dropped off. But when we got to the Sacred Heart Respite Center, it was packed. Uh, Packed like if you've ever gone to a rural elementary school, it was about that size. Like um, Mm -hmm. I'm from rural Maine originally, and the schools will have um, like 50 people in them. This was an old Uh health center, clearly a health center that was no longer up to grade for uh, licensing for a health center but was being used right. as best it could be to house, feed, and equip uh, immigrants with some basic necessities. 
that they don't have mm-hmm. when they leave the detention center. Um, so it was this maze of long lines um, with volunteers sorting donated goods, cooking meals, sitting at computers, and there were lines of family members um, clearly exhausted um, mm-hmm. who were waiting to either get a pair of shoes or clothes for themselves or someone in their family, one outfit, and you take what you get, one meal, and you right. take what you get. Right. And right. there were lines for each of these areas, and volunteers were behind the scenes sorting uh, clothes and trying to organize them because they're getting drop off. They're having between some days it's like 100 to 200. Other days it's like 500 people wow. being dropped off. Wow. Yeah. In a space so let me that ask you, we, yeah. Let me ask you because I don't want to run out of time before I get to ask you this. <laughs> okay. You I know so much. Yeah. Did you go to any detention centers? We're not allowed to. We are oh, not allowed okay. to. We did go. So after the Catholic Charities, we went to um, the next day. Let me see what that's the same day. Well, we ended up um, going to the, um, it's, let me remember the name of it, a wonderful, wonderful respite center that has longer-term stays. And it's actually run by a man who he emigrated from Cuba years ago uh, for political asylum, and it was granted. He had spent four years in jail there. So he has a very intimate understanding of what people are going through and has really dedicated his life to assisting other people um, fleeing violent situations. And he shared his story, but also the stories as people there for longer. And we met with a couple people and really heard some of the kinds of situations that people are fleeing that I just, I don't think people understand um, that this is not people who like don't quite have like fancy food or fancy houses or being kind of threatened. Um, It's people who have been raped um, forced either in the house, in their country of origin, it's mothers who are fleeing, clutching their baby to their chest, refusing to even talk to anyone until a priest uh, says, I'm a priest, you're safe with me, and then sharing stories um, like that why they're clutching their baby is to save their life because they left their home city, uh, this particular one that was from Guatemala, she had had uh, her son who was turning 12 was being courted at first by some of the cartel members in the area. And then when he wasn't interested, they came to the house and told her she had to give her son to them. They came twice. She refused both times. Mm -hmm. Um, The third time they had taken her son, kidnapped him, he was returned in pieces, chopped up mm. on her doorstep. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm. And that is not, there are, uh, in particular, the amount of young women raped, threatened, 
to be put in, you know, sold in trafficking. Um, was ama- it's an amazing number of people who have gone through that. Um, uh-huh. And then there are also people still from Cuba and from places who are lawyers and priests who have been uh, refusing to do some of what they're ordered, refusing to lie and follow their conscience. And it's not for economic reasons they come at all. It is for the promise of the United States that they will be able to speak freely against their government or um, change jobs if they're being forced to do something that's against their conscience. And that isn't the case. Um, where they come from. Mm-hmm. Well, it's heavy. So, it's really heavy. It is. It is. And I, I think the biggest thing to me is I, w- I just, I wish people would face how heavy it is. And that, I mean, there's a lot of, there's suffering in the United States. Absolutely. We have homelessness. We have, I mean, tons of things are imperfect. Absolutely. We don't, I, the majority of people are not having, you know, children brought home, chopped up, or um, being straight out told that if you don't give us your daughter, um, we will kill your younger daughter. Um, Mm -hmm. Having their pets killed and left on their yards as a threat to let them know, you better do what we say. Right. Right. And so, I mean, it's just the the fear is so palpable. And the, if anything, it's disconcerting to, to me was how obedient everybody was. Uh, any place I've been in, a school, a store, any place, kids are running around, people are loud. Each place we went, there were just eyes asking for guidance, following orders, and seeking to do this, whatever the next step is. Um, right. Grateful. Just so grateful mm-hmm. every step of the way. And it was just so stood out as contrast of the, the rhetoric that we're hearing about the yeah. criminals and yeah. at the border. That I, I personally lost a piece of jewelry and one of the young moms chased me down the hall to make sure she gave it back to me. Uh, I'll never mm-hmm. forget just how powerful that was to, to see the reality compared to what you hear if you just watch some of the news channels we have yeah. right now. So, so if there are listeners who want to get involved somehow or be part mm. of, you know, somehow be helpful in this whole thing. Do mm-hmm. you have any recommendations for them? I do. Um, again, I'm not as an expert, but those of us who went spent a lot of time brainstorming um, how we can bring that, how we can make a difference. Um, and really, came down to kind of chunking the different ideas into two areas, one being short-term humanitarian relief. Uh, Some people may not be as interested in engaging or as comfortable, you know, with uh, policy change and 
that lo- those longer term strategies and, and desperately needed interventions. But there's also an, there's an immediate short term humanitarian relief. So any of these agencies that I've mentioned, uh, and I, I will say them again, um, the Catholic Charities Sacred Heart Respite Center in McAllen, the Southwest Good Samaritan Ministries in Los Fresnos, Angry Tias and Abuelas, uh, RGV, Rio Grande Valley, all of them, they need donations to cover the food, sanitary supplies, um, toiletries, bus tickets, and phone cards. And there's a real need um, for money to pay for immigration lawyers because the majority of people go through the next step of the process without immigration lawyers. And uh, one of the saddest statistics I found out is even after seeing people elated because they finally got out of detention centers through the process um, and were off to a sponsor, only 20% of those, once they go to that next step in immigration, um, stay and get actually get a green card or a form mm-hmm. of citizenship that allows them to continue in their um, path towards citizenship. 80% so, are deported. Because they don't have the attorney. So if they, who, do, who would they donate money to for people to have attorneys? Would that also be those agencies like Catholic Charities? The, the, the gentleman who is from Cuba himself, he's now 80 years old, and this is a labor of love, and I can personally say I would trust them with my money. Um, it, that's the Southwest Good Samaritan Ministries. His name is Pastor, I will not say this right, and I apologize right now to especially Cuban uh, Spanish speaking, Filiberto Pereira, and he is the okay. minister at Ebenezer Christian Church, uh, they're the Disciples of Christ, and the director of Southwest Good Samaritan Ministry. Okay. He's very active so, in, um, yeah? So what I was going to say is if you could send me all of those links mm. or, you know, then okay. I will post it on my website so people don't have to try to run Wonderful. and get their pen and paper, write it all down. And okay. I'll just, you know, oh, have oh. that on my on the post about this program so they could just go to okay. my website and look for that post. Um, okay, good. And I, think, I would love you know, to make a, a mm-hmm. yeah. Go on, go on. I was just going to say I, I would love to make a plug for us doing some of the longer term pieces as well, though. Anyone who is moved to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, the longer term pieces, I think, in large part, start with making sure that we're educating ourselves about our neighbors, reading the history. Um, of what's happened in the countries that are seeing such crisis that people are having to flee, truly flee for their lives. And the more history we read, we find out it's very complicated. The U.S. policies and history are implicated in much of it. Um, For instance, all the guns that the cartels have are manufactured and sold by U.S. companies. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's there's a piece there to unravel and do something about I'm not the expert on what that is, but it's a question that's very clearly very important. Um, so right. the biggest recommendation, the first thing I have is educate yourself, read about it, talk with people who have successfully come through and sought um, asylum. There are a lot of people here who have, and they're incredible resources for us to learn the truth. 
Um, and then yes. contact your representatives, yes. contact elected officials. I know so many people feel like, I don't know how to do that, and does it even help? I can't tell you the amount of times in different roles in my life I have been told by representatives it absolutely makes a difference. And if they hear mm-hmm. from you that this matters to you, what you've learned about it, and your recommendations, um, if you don't have recommendations, even just that it matters to you, it, it counts. Right. Um, but if you have recommendations, yeah. share them with them. Uh, the biggest, uh, and the biggest recommendations are that we be enforcing our laws of due process, international law, the biggest change that has really um, slowed down the movement of people seeking asylum from uh, in Mexico to the United States is this sudden um, change for forever, for a long, long, long time. All someone had to do, and according to international law, this is the law, if you step on U.S. soil, and it doesn't matter how you got there, swim, raft, walk, car, if you step on U.S. soil, you have the, ro- the right under international and U.S. law to request asylum in it. And that request must mm-hmm. be honored and due process is supposed to follow. That is not happening. People are waiting okay. on the other side who clearly want to request asylum. And they're only co- sending over and allowing like one or two a day. They're right. metering. It's called metering that out. Um, and that's causing, that's actually causing people to swim across and enter illegally then they get a criminal record because they're charged and they're deported. And now if they come right. back, even legally, they have a record. Mm-hmm. That doesn't bode well for their eventual case. So yeah. calling people and saying, please repeal the zero tolerance policies that have created this humanitarian crisis, that the peace that U.S. has contributed to that historically and much more recently, we need to back we need to back out of those pieces and right. employ sensible uh, processes that people can understand and are humane. I well, agree. Those are the long term. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Kristen, for, you know, I think people are listening. Um, there was somebody um, who contacted me after the last program to find out the contact information for Team Brownsville that is helping the people mm. uh, across the border. And now she Wonderful. is bringing a team of people from Austin in April to go help them. So, Wonderful. you know, hopefully people are listening to this. I do have someone coming mm-hmm. on. Um, in a future show, Jack White, who is the director of Good Neighbor Settlement House, that's one of the places where um, where their people are the people are staying overnight when they're released okay. um, from detention yeah. centers. So he's going to come on and talk about what they're doing and you know how people can help okay. with that. So. I think Wonderful. people are starting to, and and it's, thank you so much for coming on the program and letting us know what you actually witnessed firsthand because I think mm-hmm. that is really what's the most important, mm-hmm. powerful way to get people to start getting involved and changing mm-hmm. it. Right. Well, thank you Watching for it on the news providing. Not a, mm-hmm. 
not doing it. Yeah. I really appreciate yeah. your providing this platform to to share and spread my personal individual experience so that hopefully um, some people will hear I'm just a just a citizen um, yeah. who has been moved by this uh, in the news but really felt I needed to see with my own eyes um, to better well, understand thank the you. truth. Yeah. And thank mm-hmm. you so much. And, um, and, and we'll be in touch and, you know, and we need to get more people doing this and seeing it. Mm-hmm. So I will send you that information so you can post yes, that. Please do. Um, and I will also share my information. If there's anyone who wanted to contact me, that would be fine about okay, going great. there or anything. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. And I will post all of that on my, on my post about this program later tonight okay okay thank you very much i really appreciate it all right and thank you you have a good evening okay you You too yes okay all right right. bye-bye all right so uh, we had a packed show and before art knocks us off the air let me let you all know what is coming up next week um next sunday march 24th Joining us once again from New York, we have the celebrated wellness expert, motivational speaker, mental health advocate, and author of Strong in the Broken Places, a memoir of addiction and redemption through wellness, Quentin Quentin Denny. Quentin Denny has been on the program several times, and now he's going to join us to talk about his book that he published recently about fighting a war of anxiety, depression, and addiction and how he healed himself. Um, And also, as I mentioned, Jack White, I'm not sure if he's coming on next week. Um, He will be on very soon. He, we just haven't set the date and um, I didn't hear back. It's, next week will work but he might be on next week and he is the professor of social work at the UT Brownsville Rio Grande Valley and director of Good Samaritan Settlement House in Brownsville so he's going to come on to talk about that and what they're doing to help the asylum seekers um, in part of that process that Kristen just shared with us and and we'll have more. And if you want to hear tonight's program and if you want to get any of the website links that my guests spoke about this evening, any of that information, all of it will be posted on my website about on the post about this show later this evening along with the podcast for this show so you can listen again. And um, you can also listen to the program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G slash Your Golden Years. And this evening's program was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by neurologist and memory specialist Dr. Ronald DeVere and by Storyhouse. And special thanks to my guests, Andy Smallman and Kristen Wright. And of course, thank you, Art. And thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone.
He's a freaking flying so high now. Shows a man where to fish. Watch me send it. He lies in his hammock. Teach your stories how to live. And he knows how to live. High in that mountain Watch the clouds rolling in Senorita They dance on that shoreline Making plans for that kiss And they know how to kiss They say that we're one hour behind But the senor to keep us in time That poppy CT just blows through my mind It takes me back to my place Punta Mita time Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. 